there and welcome back to On Your Terms. I'm your host, Sam Vanderweelen. I'm so excited that you're here and I'm so excited to talk to you about one of my favorite things in online business, courses. It's the backbone of my business. It's also what I just so happen to help thousands of people with, um, you know, every day. So I think it's going to be really good to just dive in and focus on online courses. You could even pay attention to a lot of what I'm talking today about with like online memberships and stuff like that too, because really today we're going to be talking about things that you sell that people can buy when you're not around, right? That's the goal. When you're sleeping, when you're on vacation, when you're at the Olive Garden, like people can buy this stuff from you and that's what we need to legally protect. So we're chatting all about courses today. I'm excited to dive into it. I also just wanted to thank you before we get started for everybody's like kind words and people have been so nice about everything that's happened with my dad. My dad passed away in case you're new around here. And it's been a really, really, really tough time for me personally. Um, but I have definitely been comforted by all of your kind words and messages and gifts and everything in between. So I just really, really appreciate it. And I hope that, you know, it never goes unnoticed, at least on my end. Honestly, I'm finding my footing from like, I took so much time off um, after my dad passed and then about a, about a month because it included the time that he was in the hospital and then like time for his funeral. And then really I only had about three weeks, I guess, after that I took off for myself, but I'm not trying to come back like full, <laughs> full throttle, maybe ever or for a, lo- a long time, at least. I don't know, because I feel like I took a lot away from my time and very, very fortunately, I've built a business that doesn't necessarily need me like that all the time. Right. And I pride myself in being busy and being needed and, um, being frantically like I have to do this and I have to do that and I have to launch and I have to promo and I got to write and I have to podcast and I have to do all that. But the truth is I actually don't need to, in order to keep the lights on around here. So it doesn't really change much on your end. Uh, I just produce an insane amount of work in any given day. My friend Franny texted me this morning that I'm, I'm a machine and that is, I will accept that. That is true. Um, I get an insane amount done. It's actually why like the whole lawyer thing really didn't work for me because when you're a lawyer, you bill for time and I would get things done so quickly and they would be like, yeah, you need to take longer with this. And I was like, why would I take longer with something that I can do so quickly? You know? So I think I can get like an inordinate amount of stuff done in a short period of time, but that doesn't mean you have to keep that in mind. Doesn't mean you have to. And I really am trying to like shift into this way of like my day being structured that I don't have such a big to-do list. Like maybe I have more like Like today, for example, I really want to record these two podcast episodes. So I'm recording this episode 49 and 50 right after this. That's a big lift, right? But for me, that would have in a prior life, meaning like a month ago, it would have been like four podcast episodes, plus creating all the social media content, plus having a bunch of meetings, plus doing this, that, and the other thing. It would have been a ton and like a lot of writing. So I'm really trying to slow it down. And like today, I just took a really slow morning. Obviously, I'm not going to always have the ability. Like today, I didn't start till about noon um, because I took time to like move my body and make a nice breakfast and take a longer shower than usual and like make sure I took my vitamins. And I just really took my time with everything and did like life admin, which always makes me feel better. I don't know about you, but all those little like annoying tasks that are hanging in the back of your mind that you're like, oh, I got to call and make that dentist appointment. Well, I finally did it. And honestly, right now, that just takes a lot of energy. So that's just kind of where I'm at right now. I'm sure this will like keep evolving and changing, but I'm just, I'm keeping you in the loop. That's all as usual. So 
Anywho, let's chat protecting our courses today. Courses are so unique in like in general, obviously, but I mean, from a legal perspective, they're really unique because the idea is that somebody can buy it at any time, right? That's really the goal. And so if you've had a coaching practice in the past, or that's more like what you're used to, you might be used to the idea that you kind of are the gatekeeper to clients coming into your business. Like you have a call with them or you have an email, you send them a link that's not publicly available to sign up to work with you. And that's that, right? But that's not how it works with courses. The idea with courses is that people can go on your site or whatever you're using and they can purchase it wherever and whenever they want. So you might not really know these people, right? And what does that mean? Well, it might mean that you don't know that they're the ideal client. You don't know that they have good intentions. You don't know that they have the money. Um, There are a lot of things we don't know about them, right? And we do our best with marketing and pre-qualification and all this other kind of stuff, but it is what it is. We're not really vetting them, right? So they could be the wrong client for you. They could need like the, a different scope than what you're legally able to offer, given what you do. Unfortunately, they could also just want to copy you, right? They could either be straight up trying to join your thing to steal from you, or they could be joining so that they are inspired to create their own course. Or some people are kind of uh, more like on the beginning part of their journey and creating a similar kind of business. And so they'll buy your course. And then there are usually a lot of like unique payment methods and issues around payment with courses. So courses themselves are just unique from a legal perspective. And I think that's why this is going to be such a good topic to dive into. And I'm going to cover everything that I just mentioned today. I'm also not here to like scare you or definitely not to like discourage you from ever creating a course because, you know, you're afraid someone will steal it or anything. If you know me, you know that the like crux of what I do is just making you aware of what kind of stuff is out there, but never ever to shy away from things, to play small, to be quiet, to not put something out there that you really want to create. But instead, it's just like, okay, here's the information. And then I'm going to tell you exactly what you can do um, to do your best to, to either avoid it entirely or to respond to it, right? So don't you worry. Okay, before we hop into the meat and potatoes, as my dad would say, of this episode, I want to read to you the review of the week from Sarah's, with a bunch of S's. (laughs) Sarah's says, my podcast is incredibly useful and packed with value. It's hands down the best resource I've found as I've thought about starting my own business. I follow so many people, but this has been the most valuable resource yet. Sam does a great job of providing exactly the info you need. No more, no less. I'm feeling much more confident about starting a business. I also feel much closer to pulling the trigger as she answers all my pressing business questions in one easily digestible forum. Would absolutely recommend. Well, thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you so much for leaving that review on Apple Podcasts. If you leave a review in Apple Podcasts of my show on your terms, you'll be entered to win a $20 Starbucks gift card. All you have to do is just leave a quick review on Apple. I pick a new winner every single month. So be make, make sure to submit your review now when you're done li- listening to this episode, make sure you submit it. And you might even get a little shout out on a future episode. I would love that. And then I love when you guys reach out to me and you let me know that you were the person I shouted out to. So with that, in this episode, we're going to talk about course contracts you need, protecting your content, scope of practice. Even when it comes to courses, we have to talk about scope of practice. And we'll talk about the most common legal issues or pains in your butt that come up when you sell online courses so that you can navigate them and dodge them like a pro. So here's the deal. 
The issue when it comes to courses is that people don't know how to protect information that people can purchase at any time or without any sort of that like interview process or gatekeeper process, right? A lot of times people will just kind of like throw their hands up in the air and be like, there's nothing I can do because people can purchase it and access it. That's not true, right? Another issue is that people do unfortunately try to steal, right? Um, they, that does happen, but I don't think it's super often. I don't think it's, again, definitely not a reason to not create or promote and grow your course, um, but it is just something to be aware of and a important reason to have legal stuff in place. And people don't know even how to use some of the legal pieces that they might have. Like you might have already some of the pieces that I'm going to talk about today. You just might not know exactly where they go or how to use them or the like extremely valuable lawyery tips that I'm going to give you today on how to get the most juice for your squeeze out of them. So this is important for you. Even if you already have course contracts, even if you already have website policies, you're going to want to listen to this. So I wanted to share with you too that, you know, protecting your courses, and I'm really like this is a general legal tip, but I I found this, well, maybe because a course, uh, my ultimate bundle is not a course, it's really a pack of digital products, but it, it comes with a suite of video trainings, which could technically be called a course. Um, altogether, I call it a program. But as somebody who has primarily and predominantly just sold the ultimate bundle, um, I've sold millions and millions of dollars in product in in that one product alone, I have evolved my like rules or like th- what I call the, oh, I didn't know we had to like tell them about that or, oh, I didn't know that had to be a rule kind of thing over time, right? My rules, I'm a lawyer. I was a practicing lawyer for six years. Like I have, ch- I have learned lessons, right? Things have changed. It's not just because I was a dummy and I didn't know. Just like you're not a dummy and you, it's not like you don't know or should have known. It's that things change, right? The way that people purchase my course now has changed because technology has changed. Like, um, for example, like digital wallet payments weren't a thing when I started my business. There was no Apple Pay. There was no Google Pay or anything like that. There, I don't think there was Venmo or anything. I don't remember any of that stuff being around like six years ago when I started an online business. So certain things come up, which then people start using them in a certain way. And that will trigger you to have to create new rules and boundaries with people. So I don't want you, I'm telling you this for two reasons. One, I don't want you to beat yourself up like, oh, I should have had this already. Or like you get some legal stuff in place and then something happens and you're like, I thought this was supposed to protect me. Why isn't this working? That is okay because it is meant to be something that you continue to evolve and change. And and so this, I don't want you beating yourself up, but the second reason I'm telling you is because I also think it's just an important reminder that when you get legal stuff in place, it's also important to put a system in, in your own business. Like personally, I use Asana. So, you know, if, if I were you, I'd be putting this into Asana or you could use like ClickUp or Notion or whatever then you would put some sort of reminder at whatever interval, like maybe once a quarter, you know, once a month is too frequent. Once a quarter might be a little too infrequent, but you would put a reminder in for yourself um, to go in and update those policies. I mean, if I were you as well, I would, I would be updating these on the fly. Like if somebody really pulls like one over on you and you realize like, that your language wasn't as clear as you want to, you should change that immediately and make the changes throughout your business that I'll talk about today. 
But in general, like just for kind of like a refresh, maybe you could just have that scheduled for like once a quarter. I'm talking like no more than 15 minutes looking through it, thinking, has anything changed in my own business, with my own customers, in the industry, with tech tools? Am I using different programs? And just update them really quick, right? So this is stuff that's going to evolve. That's okay. All right. With that, let me get into my tips for you today on how to legally protect your online course. Tip number one is all about having the right contract because without the right contract, we can't really talk about any of the rest of the stuff because whenever we're worried about people stealing our courses or improperly accessing it, sharing their logins, refunds, all the things that we're going to talk about over the next few minutes, it all comes back to your contract. So it really is the foundation that we have to talk about first before we talk about everything else. So yes, you absolutely use a contract for your online courses. This also includes membership programs. It would actually be the same kind of contract. The contract that I recommend and that I sell and offer as a fill-in-the-blank you know, legal template, um, you can purchase it in my template shop, but it also is included in my ultimate bundle, it's called the Terms of Use. So Terms of Use is a essentially a contract, but instead of the kind of contract that you would like digitally sign or paper sign if you were in person, it's the kind that you would agree to or consent to typically at checkout, right? And so it would typically go at the bottom of a checkout page or like right about where the person clicks like submit or purchase. Ideally, they would have to take some sort of action to like check off a box or select something from a drop down menu or something like that. And they there should be a sentence there that says, like, by purchasing this course, I agree and consent to these terms of use. Right. And then the phrase terms of use would actually be a link, like a highlighted link that they could click on and they could review the terms of use themselves. The terms of use, if they are able to click on it, it would have to be housed somewhere, right? So that would have to be like a page on your website that's just maybe like a private or unlisted page. Or if you have like landing page services, sometimes the checkout uh, services themselves have the ability to do this. Sometimes like Kajabi or Teachable will give you the ability to do this. So it kind of depends on the tools that you're using. But in general, the important point there is to have that sentence at checkout and have it be clickable for them to go and review them. Now, wherever they go to click, like, so say that my checkout says, I, by purchasing, I hereby agree to and consent to these terms of use, and they click on that phrase terms of use to review them, that should be a non-editable document, right? So if you end up having to, like, just include a link to a document, it should be a locked PDF, for example, not like a Word doc or a Google doc. Preferably, it would go to a website of some sort, but, you know, the where somebody can't alter it. But the point there is that you don't want to give people the ability to change it, <laughs> you know, to come back and say, like, that's not the one that I agreed to because they changed it. So you want to make sure that you have the, the locked document there available for them to review. Now, in terms of what it should essentially like say and do to protect you, well, that's pretty extensive, right? So what what really the basics of it is that you want to be clear in this in your terms of use. Um, and this is why I create legal templates for you because like you're not supposed to write these yourself. It's filled with lots of lawyery language, but I want to give you an idea of kind of the main points of what would be in a terms of use contract. So you want to make it really clear what exactly they're purchasing, what's included, what's not included, that kind of stuff, right? That's really, really important, especially for those of you who sell courses that maybe come with bonuses or live components or support components. 
we want to be really clear about what's included and what's not. So we're going to obviously cover that. We're also going to cover a lot about payments because in in courses, oftentimes they allow people to have like payment plans or some other kind of like payment arrangement. And so it's really important that we cover all the terms related to payment, particularly when it comes to those payment plans. It's all about what the steps are if things go wrong, essentially. So if somebody, you know, their payments decline for whatever reason, or they don't pay on time, you have to really, really flesh out the steps on like failure attempt number one and number two, and however many you have, how many days there are between, how they'll be notified, right? What will happen if they don't rectify payment? Does their access get removed? For how long? Are they ever given it back? What do they have to do to get it back? Do they have to pay the full amount of what they owe? You know, there's not really a right or wrong here. It's more that you choose a policy and then you like painfully, clearly flush it out in that terms of use. That is probably the area where I have to go back in the most and flush the stuff out more and more and more as people get trickier and trickier with trying to pull some shenanigans. So, you know, again, be gentle with yourself. But this is also why you should start with like a solid legal template, like what I offer, so that then you can just add to it because you don't want to be writing this yourself and like having all the legal language in there as well. So it can be really helpful to get that. So in terms of you, uh, what else this contract has to say in order to legally protect you, it also has to cover the fact that this course and all of its content and materials, which you would flesh out there, are your intellectual property, that you have intellectual property rights to that content and that you would enforce it if somebody stole it or infringed upon it, right? That's really important. You would also set out whatever your login rules are, like they can't share their login, that what would happen if you became aware of some like weird behavior with seeing like 100 login attempts, you know, from all these different countries. So you would flesh that out. Again, you can like remove them. You could ask them to prove it, you know, all this different stuff. You would also want to set out the rules for your group or community aspect. So if you have like a Facebook group or a Mighty Networks thing, you would want to flesh out what's acceptable and unacceptable behavior and what happens if that behavior comes up. Does the person lose their access to the group? Do they only lose it for a certain period of time? Do they have to do something to get back in? Are there a certain number of strikes? What's considered a strike? You know, all of that stuff. Can you kind of see like where I'm going with a lot of this? Like with so many, when it, with so much legal stuff, like people write to me so often looking for kind of the answer about what they're allowed to do regarding legal stuff. And there are definitely, don't get me wrong, there's definitely a lot of legal stuff that's like, you have to do it this way, you have to do it that way. But there's more, I would say, where it's just like your choice to decide what you want to do in your business, right? You can decide what you want to do on your refunds. You can decide what you want to do about sharing access and um, removal for non-payment. You can decide about all that kind of stuff. You just have to be extremely clear. So I think sometimes people get a little tripped up with that where they're like, there are no rules. We can do whatever we want. It's like, no, there are rules. And you also get to set the rules, which I think is a great opportunity. And I wouldn't waste it if I were you, because all you're going to do is like screw yourself over. But if you want to be able to enforce them, they have to be in writing and they have to be extremely clear and they have to be made available to people through this terms of use who buy who buy your course, right? 
So to that effect, how do we then use this contract to actually protect you? Well, I already mentioned it has to be a checkout, right? But that's not where it should end. The follow-up step that I take, um, and this is what I do in my own business, is that when people purchase the Ultimate Bundle, they immediately get an email with a you know, welcome email and some links that they need and some resources they need. But at the bottom of that email, it says, P.S., here's a copy of your terms of use that you agreed to when purchasing the bundle for your records. And the phrase terms of use is actually a highlighted link that they can click on to get a PDF copy of it that's a locked PDF, but a PDF copy of the one that they signed at checkout. Now, I don't have any sort of tech magic here. All I'm doing, and now all that my team is doing, is that anytime that I make changes to the terms of use, they you know change that within our checkout software, which is Samcart, no affiliation. And they they change that in Samcart and then they take that uh, updated terms of use, turn it into a PDF and link to it in ConvertKit, which is my email marketing software. So it's nothing fancy. We do this manually. Again, it doesn't change so often that this is a big deal, but that way, whenever anybody's purchasing, they have the most recent copy, the actual copy that they uh, of the terms that they agreed to when they purchased the bundle. The other thing that you can do is link to your terms of use in your course itself. You can also make it like a, you know, it depends what software you're using, but like on a Teachable or a Kajabi type software um, or Kartra, you could like use it as a lesson, right? So you could have a lesson that says like terms of use or like program terms of use, something like that. So that's perfectly fine as well. And if it's a program um, and definitely a membership that people have continued access to, and even especially if they're like continuing to pay to be in it or something like that. If you make changes to your terms of use, you can go ahead and send that out to everybody and make it applicable to those people as well. So continued use of the program, continued access to the program will be subject to these terms of use. You'll, you probably have seen this, you know, when you've gotten emails from companies saying they've updated their terms or their privacy policy, they'll typically give you a little summary of what exactly they've changed because it's not really fair to the customers to make them go like, hunting for for like, what word did she change in here? So you can make it general. You don't have to give a huge explanation, but you can say like, um, the company has made changes to the terms of use that you agreed to and you purchased. The changes can be found in paragraph 14 regarding payment, which now declares that, you know, the third payment attempt will be the final attempt or something like that. Or you could even keep it more general in that, like which, um, which revises the numbers of number of payment attempts that that you're permitted to have, right? Like something like that. You just give them a little note about like where they can go find it and look at it. You can link to it and then again, update it throughout. So you would update, go back and update that delivery email, update the link if you have it in your footer of your course, update it if you have it actually posted in your course, all that kind of stuff. But that is in general what you do with the terms of use contract. This is also why tech tools are so important because you can try to, like a lot of times people will come to me and they've built a course on some platform and then they're like, oh, this platform doesn't actually ha- give us the ability to include terms at checkout. And it's like, uh, <laughs> well, that's not good. I mean, I don't know what else to say because it's crucial. Like you can't sell this thing without having a contract because you're literally putting yourself in a position to not be able to do anything about it. So it's a pretty big deal. 
It's why I only recommend the tools that I, I mean, it's not like these are the, the tools that I recommend are the only ones that do it this way, but the ones that I do recommend give you the ability to include this. And so I would never recommend something to you that doesn't allow you to include it. So that's why I use SamCart. That's why I use like ConvertKit and all of these things. I can link to all those below, but it is really, really important that you have uh, the ability to include that. You can also go back, by the way, if you want to learn more about tech tools that I like and like legal compliant tech tools and all that kind of stuff, go back and listen to episode 27 of the podcast. All right. Tip number two is all about how to protect your course content, which is something I get so many questions about that people wrote to me. I actually asked on Instagram what questions you guys have. Somebody wrote to me and said, what can I do to protect myself from somebody stealing my content? And it's such a good question. And it's something that does happen. Like I said, I don't think it's like super rampant, but it's, it's definitely feels like more than when I started my business. Basically, the deal here is that if you don't send off your course material, like your, your videos, um, if your transcripts, your PDFs, whatever you have inside of your course for registration through the U.S. Copyright Office, then you're relying on what we call common law protection. So when you create content, any kind of content, you inherently get common law intellectual property rights, right? Like you have the right to it. People can't steal it. The, the issue becomes whether or not you can actually do something about it, whether you can enforce it, what I call the enforcement mechanism. So you don't really have an enforcement mechanism unless you register it, right? So if you register your content your, of your course with the U.S. Copyright Office, you give yourself a huge leg up, a huge leg up, like slam dunk heads up. No, leg up, <laughs> a slam dunk leg up. <laughs> That's what I meant. If you register, because you'll actually be able to do something about it. It's going to put you in a great position. So you might have heard me talk about trademark registration here on the show before. And unlike trademark registration, copyright registration, which covers the content of your course, copyright registration is much faster, typically like a month-ish, right? So that is something that I personally would get in the habit of doing. If you create a course, I would just send it off for registration. And while you're finishing out the course, you're building it out, you're marketing it, you'll be going through the registration process. It's not too late. If you haven't done it already, just go get it registered, right? We definitely want you to take care of that. So that is a huge thing. And you want to put yourself in a position to actually be able to do something about it. Because the truth is, if somebody steals your course, you'll be able to hire a lawyer, right? You can try to, and you haven't, let's say if someone steals it and you haven't registered, you could hire a lawyer, they'll send nasty letters, they'll fight with them. But the first thing that they're going to say is, where did you register it? Is it registered? Now, in terms of protecting the name of your course, that would be a trademark issue. So that would be something you would go down the trademark path if you wanted to. That would only help you protect the name, nothing to do with the actual course or the product itself. Like, you know, I, a big uh, Instagrammer that I know had like her whole product stolen. They were like these downloadable te templates and another company just took it and then rebranded it and sold it as their own. Right. So that would be the kind of thing that she would have had to have copywritten not trademarked. Trademark's only going to help you with the name, which is is helpful, but honestly, it's not really it's not really the name usually. I don't know. It's it's to me it's like the content is like the most important thing, right? 
So think about it, but that is truly how to protect your course content as well as, you know, having the language in your terms of use contract, like I mentioned, using certain tech tools that you can to like lock documents, you know, if you want to make it so that things aren't downloadable, that helps, right? In in like Vimeo, you can disable the ability to embed or download or forward videos. So those are some options that are available to you, but you can kind of explore more of the tech side of it as well. Tip number three is all about scope of practice. And mainly what you need to know here is that scope of practice, which is what you're legally allowed to do based on how you're qualified, licensed, educated, whatever. Um, and that's according to your state's laws and regulations. It says like who can do what, right? Who who's, has to be licensed to do certain things. That still applies even in the course business, right? So Sometimes I actually talk to customers about how I think courses are a really good way to talk about a topic that's a little bit risky in a safer way because you're not working with people directly and telling them like, here, Judy, you should take this pill at this time and do this and eat this for lunch and work out like this and do that. And here's a meal plan. Instead, you could teach a to- about a topic and someone can digest it and apply it on their own. It doesn't mean it's a free-for-all, right? You still can't do whatever you want. And so it's important that we still stay within our scope of practice boundaries. But that's really just what I wanted to mention today, that I wanted to make sure you knew that courses weren't like a get-out-of-jail-free card. I would definitely go back and listen to episode two of my podcast if you haven't already. It's all about scope of practice for coaches. And this goes well beyond the wellness and health industry, by the way. If you're a money fitness coach, career coach, life coach, self-care coach, anything, right? Dating, anything. You need to know what scope of practice you're allowed to operate within. And so I dove deep into it in episode two. So let's talk. Tip number four is all about what legal issues that you're probably going to face when you sell courses. And let's talk about how to avoid them, shall we? Okay, so the first one is all about non-payment and late payments. Basically, people not paying you or paying you on time. This happens especially with payment plans, right? And it is normal. It's an industry average to like have a certain number of bounced payments or failed payment attempts, yada, yada. So Part of it, I think, is just getting used to the idea that it's to be expected. It's the cost of doing business, and it's the cost of giving people the opportunity to space out payments over time so that they can access a program. 99% of the people take advantage of that opportunity and behave and are nice and appreciative, and then there's that other 1%, and that's just what you have to deal with. At times, though, that 1% feels really big, and it feels really heavy, and it'll make you want to like stop, but don't because it's really important to give people that opportunity to join um, who just might not be able to join otherwise. So when we're dealing with these payment issues, like I, of course, everything that we've talked about already today is already helpful. Like having the contract is crucial because it's going to give you something to enforce those terms, right? So having that would be really helpful. And also using tools at your disposal, like that's another reason why I use Samcart because Samcart has really good payment capturing. So like after somebody's card declines, they we have the ability to set up our Dunning emails inside of Samcart and then they get those emails and they can update their card info. And so like a lot can happen before my team even has to get involved. So that can be really helpful, right? Only taking certain payment types, that's like another way to try to avoid it. 
you can always explore the idea of like having your clients pay through PayPal credit so that you get paid up front, but PayPal gets to deal with the subscription payments. So that's another thing to consider. I would say overall, like once you start selling a lot of courses, eventually then you have to have a relationship if you want to with some sort of collections agency um, and have a system and an SOP in place to, you know, give people the opportunity that you've laid out for them in the contract about how many times they have to rectify their payment and how many days they have between each one. But once that doesn't happen, you want to give yourself the ability to send them to collections. So that would be another thing that you would address in those terms of use. Um, And you would have to have a very solid terms of use contract in order to send them off to collections because the collections company is going to want proof that this person has actually agreed to pay you for something. So it's really important. Again, all roads lead back to that contract. Another, you know, I I don't want to say common legal issue, but it's not necessarily uncommon these days, is theft right? And so we do have that happen sometimes. It is important to monitor for. What makes me upset and what makes me even like hesitant to talk about is that I just feel like when you talk about it, then people just want to like back out and not create a course, right? And if I hadn't created the ultimate bundle, sure, I wouldn't have made, uh, you know, what I've made off of off the course, what the business has made off of the course. But more importantly, I wouldn't have gotten it to as many thousands of people who then used it to start or grow their own online business that I did, right? So don't let one bad seed ruin the whole thing, right? I have been stolen from. I've been copied. I've been this, that, and the other thing. It cannot stop you from putting yourself out there and continuing to promote your course. What you can do is the stuff that we've talked about already. You have the contract. You have your course registered so you can actually enforce it, right? You have some common sense checks. You know, we have some things in place that I won't, I won't go into detail with just because I can't give it, give that all away. But like we have some stuff in place. We've caught some people buying it who are other lawyers who offer legal templates and this kind of stuff um, or who want to start it too. And, you know, we have our own like monitoring process. You know, even when I was by myself, I was checking for this kind of stuff. So, you know, it's something to work on. It's definitely a mindset thing to work on. It's a little bit of an anxiety for me that I had to continue to work on to not be so paranoid and fearful that people were like all out to get me and that something bad was going to happen and that I couldn't trust anybody. So it's something to be aware of if that comes up for you. And I would definitely encourage you to talk to like if you do go to therapy, it's something I spent a lot of my time in therapy in the first few years of my business talking about um, and then like coaches down the line and that kind of stuff. So I would definitely encourage you to talk to somebody about it if it comes up for you and also just want you to know that it's totally normal. Another common issue that I see and my friends tell me about this all the time is that people will join for, quote, inspiration. So a lot of my friends who are coaches say that they see their clients like buy their programs or their memberships. And then all of a sudden, like the next day, that person's talking about that topic the exact same way on Instagram stories, right? That would be another thing that we would cover in your terms of use contract. There's a confidentiality section in there that says that like what you learn in the program has to be kept, you know, there. But then there's also that intellectual property section that says that this stuff is all belonging to you. Now, we don't own facts, right? That's not protected by intellectual property. There's also only so many ways you can like talk about a certain topic or whatever. But if they, if you have a unique spin or method or approach 
if you have a certain number of like five steps, you need to know about this, and then they're doing the same exact five steps, that's an issue. And typically when it's a client or somebody that you know, I typically recommend that their first step is to just talk with them, right? Not through DMs, not through anything else. Like try to hop on the phone, get on a Zoom call and talk to them. Let them know that you've seen uh, what's been going on. You feel like they're taking too much inspiration from what you're doing, that it does violate your terms and also your intellectual property rights. But more so, even more importantly, it's not good for their own business or their own whatever. So that is one way that you could approach it. Another common issue that comes up in courses is some sort of like bullying or unkind, unruly behavior in the community. So first off, it's important that you actually set rules for your community because you can't get mad at people for not, you know, abiding by expectations that you never set. So the first step is that you need to have some set of rules of like what kind of language is acceptable or unacceptable Um, what some of the steps will be again, going back to that, like, what are the strikes? How many are there? What are the penalties? Do they get their access removed? Making sure that's all in your terms of use, making sure it's also listed when somebody joins the community, better, better, like, uh, bonus points. If you can have it be like the first lesson in a, in a community or something that people have to like agree to before they can enter or something like that, or like a pop-up, um, that would be kind of cool. But that is just an important one to have set out so that it gives you like a very clear cut, like you violated this rule, therefore you're out of the community, either total forever or for a month or whatever you decide to do. It just has to be clear. And so you don't want to have any wishy-washy like, well, that feels like this. No, it doesn't feel like it was this and boop, you're out. That's it. Another issue that comes up is sharing logins and access. And somebody on Instagram, when I asked for the questions for this episode, somebody said, how can we tell if people are sharing our logins? Well, that's a very good question. Now, most of the core softwares that I've ever used, including the current, tells me how many logins this person has had, and it tells us where they've had them from. So that is helpful because you can sometimes see, like, I remember in Teachable, we would be able to see that, like, somebody was signing in from like one country and another country and then another state in America and then a state like totally on the other side of America all within like the same hour. Now, it is possible with some of these that you you have to contact the person and ask them about it because, you know, maybe they're using like a, what's called a VPN or whatever. Like there, there could be some like tech explanation, but in my experience, most of those were not that would either need you would you would have to monitor this right it's not something that i know about that people that like softwares um offer as a tool yet but you would have to monitor it or somebody on your team would have to monitor it i think it would be more like you become suspicious of something like i don't know there maybe something would pop up and you got suspicious and then you would go into this person's profile and you would see that right so just something to consider. Again, sharing logins and access info should always be addressed in your terms of use contract. Last but not least, one of the other issues that I've seen come up with selling courses is like distributing the course material to other people, right? So downloading a PDF and sending it to a friend, downloading a video, sending it to a friend. Um, I even had a friend who somebody downloaded a part of their course and then created a Pinterest pin with it and it became like a really popular 
Pinterest pin, but it was part of her course. So that's an example where like that was something that's covered in our terms of use. And then that's your intellectual property. So hopefully you have registered it and then you would be able to enforce it and get it taken down. Um, if you ever saw it on a platform like Pinterest, you could contact the platform directly or Instagram or whoever. And then they would take it down um, just on the mere assertion that this is your intellectual property. So those are really the things that you need to know about how to legally protect your online course. There's probably something else that's even come up for you during the course of this podcast episode. So I want you to go ahead and send me a DM on Instagram. I'm at Sam Vanderwielen and let me know what questions have come up for you. Or honestly, I would just be really happy if you sent me a DM and said if this episode was helpful, if it was helpful, if you learned something from it, um, if you found it helpful to you in growing your business, send me a DM. Let me know. I would love to hear from you on Instagram. And before you go, if you liked this episode or you think that a friend of yours would enjoy listening to this episode, will you do me a favor and go ahead and just forward it to them really quick? You can shoot the link to them as a text or forward it through the app that you're listening to, but just go ahead and send them a text to this um, episode. And it would mean so much to me to help other people find out about On Your Terms. And I hope to be able to read your review of the podcast as well next week. Um, I can't wait for you to join me for our 50th episode. I'm so excited. I'll see you then. Thanks so much for listening to the On Your Terms podcast. Make sure to follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. You can also check out all of our podcast episodes, show notes, links, and more at samvanderwielen.com slash podcast. You can learn more about legally protecting your business and take my free legal workshop, Five Steps to Legally Protect and Grow Your Online Business at samvanderwielen.com. And to stay connected and follow along, follow me on Instagram at samvanderwielen and send me a DM to say hi. Just remember that although I am a attorney, I am not your attorney and I am not offering you legal advice in today's episode. This episode and all of my episodes are informational and educational only. It is not a substitute for seeking out your own advice from your own lawyer. And please keep in mind that I can't offer you legal advice. I don't ever offer any legal services, but I think I offer some pretty good information.